0: and welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance here in New Zealand and on this podcast I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Now this is actually the final episode in this series but don't you worry, it is my full intention to take a break and then come back with many more money journeys of many more interesting Kiwis. I first heard from Ryan via email when he got in touch because he had just stumbled upon the most amazing blog and podcast ever mine yes our flattery does indeed get you everywhere now this 23 year old's excitement came through in his email when he told me he's obsessed with personal finance and has been absorbing content wherever he can find it and even though he is still very young he seems to have tried so many investment options already and I was instantly interested to find someone so genuinely into it and because of that I wanted to speak with him and this is despite learning a make or break detail about him the fact that he is actually Australian. But I know a lot of Aussies listen to this and I know that his story is relatable in any country and because he has visited New Zealand once, I thought I might just claim him as a Kiwi anyway because Aussies do that stuff to us all the time, right? So there's my dig at Australia out of the way and I'm happy with the fact he is a very interesting bloke. So after me telling you a little bit about Pocketsmith, today's sponsor, let's get on with hearing about Ryan. Today's episode is brought to you by a company that I really like to use, Pocketsmith. We all know what a Swiss Army knife can do and Pocketsmith is kind of like that but for personal finance software instead. It equips you with a multitude of the right tools to make all of life's money decisions and it's New Zealand made. Take it from me, growing your family is one of life's biggest decisions and if you have ever wondered if you can afford to take time off work to look after a child, well you can use the Pocketsmith What If Scenarios feature to think about the short and the long term financial impacts of those big decisions. If you would like to try Pocketsmith, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash Pocketsmith and get 50% off the first two months on a monthly premium subscription. Pocketsmith, clever budgeting software that lets you see your financial past, present and future. Ryan's grandparents, who were from the western Indian state of Goa, a former Portuguese colony, they moved to Perth, Australia many, many years ago. Now how on earth did they end up there I had to ask. Well his grandfather worked as a marine engineer aboard ships and his route regularly took him to Perth among other amazing places so they decided it would be a great place to move to because it would be lovely and warm. Now sometime later Ryan's own parents when they were in their early 20s they also made the move to Australia but to the much smaller coastal town of Albany and they went on to have two children, Ryan and his older brother. Now this family sure have a great knack of picking lovely places to live. His dad actually studied aeronautical engineering, yet initially he managed a restaurant in a big national food chain before actually buying a cafe of his own, which he ran for a couple of years before next moving into franchising and the selling of the actual restaurants. Now he has moved out of the restaurant industry, he's Perth based, and his role is to help grow a franchise network of stores in Australia. Now, Ryan recalls that as a kid, his dad would take him around various restaurants where they would taste test other menus for comparison with the restaurant that his dad managed. And then, as his father's career progressed, he was always hearing about store sales and rental costs, profits and losses, and what have you around the dinner table. His mum stayed home to raise him and his brother. Plus, when he was little, she used to do a lot of in home babysitting. So, there were always other kids in the house, which must have made things pretty lively. And his parents were quite entrepreneurial, and they tried their hand at real estate by buying land, building a house on it, and then selling it on. And he said that they did this about five times, but Ryan seems to think that they never made a great deal of money from doing this. And when he was a teenager, they owned their own house, and they were debt-free, but they took on a mortgage to buy into a sporting business, which his mum ran for a couple of years before calling it quits, and unfortunately losing most of the money that they had invested in it. Now they moved around Australia to follow careers for a bit but they've now settled back in Perth where his mum has settled into a sales job that she absolutely loves. His grandparents in the meantime, now in their very late 70s, are hardcore garage sailors and they keep themselves busy by buying low at a garage sale and selling high at a local market each week. And he said they must be doing okay out of it because they have been doing it for about 15 years and they go on a tour or a holiday somewhere each year to visit Ryan's family who are spread all over the world. I asked what this interesting upbringing might have taught him about money and he said his grandparents, they never said that much, however he said they were addicted to bingo and they always gave him scratchies for his birthday and for Christmas and he has great memories of him and his cousins all scratching prizes at Christmas. There would always be a buzz when one of them won something and he said that this fun habit turned actually into a bit of an addiction for him when he was about 16 so he realised he needed to stop buying them. He learned about money via watching really, uh, not through specific conversations about money nor by being taught how to invest. He was just a kid who was very interested in how money worked in the world and his parents would be very open to answering any questions he asked such as what salary did his parents earn for example. Now I'm just going to slide in a note here to his parents in case they happen to be listening to this. Personally I suspect that they may have actively taught Ryan a lot more about money than he recalls at this point in his life They may not have specifically taught him about investing because they didn't know what they didn't know, but as you'll hear in a moment, there does seem to be some money floating around in Ryan's life, and kids don't just start to accumulate money by accident. There will have been some parental guidance and input somewhere along the way about how to earn it, and also where to put it. So, it all sounded pretty straightforward. A loving upbringing that was interesting, quite entrepreneurial, and possibly a little bit different to many. The fact he is himself an entrepreneurial kid starts to emerge when he told me that his first investment at the age of about 14 was actually in gold. He was on his first trip to India and his parents encouraged him to buy an ounce, which would have cost, he said, about 1300 Australian dollars. And he said that it seems to be a bit of a cultural investment that goes back decades to when India didn't have a formal way to invest like we do today. And whereas other cultures may have put money under their mattress, well, Indians bought gold. And he appears to have misplaced this gold and the recollection of having bought it has reminded him to ring up his mum and see if she knows where it is. Knowing what he knows now, he is kicking himself that this money was not invested in the stock market for the last nine years instead. Uh, But despite that, he still thinks that once he tracks it down, despite knowing that gold is a bit of a rubbish investment, as it never produces a dividend, he will still keep it for a bit of a memento. Next unusual fact about Ryan was that he told me that he always had access to his parents' bank account. The reason being because he had a sub-account off his parents' own account and because Ryan was interested he would log on every day to see how much money he had to spend and he would also log on each day to see what had changed in his parents' accounts. But he said he got sick of asking his mum for money to top up his transport card for example. So when he was 16 he got a summer job working for a fast food chain and he worked there pretty much every day on $8 an hour before returning to school at the end of the summer. Also the day he turned 16 he went into the bank and opened up his very own account in his own name. He finally had his own money and he could stop asking his mum for some and he had his own bank account to stash it in. Now through watching his parents' accounts, he had seen the rubbish interest rates his parents were getting and he was intent on finding a better rate, plus he was mad keen to start to manage his own money. So I asked him what was the one piece of advice, either good or bad, that his parents did teach him about money and what does he wish that they had taught him? He said they always spent money on travel and they had the best trips overseas as a family. They would go and visit family and friends in different parts of the world and he said it gave him a real cultural appreciation of other people and other places. He said he also learned about lifestyle inflation from his parents. He and his brother had a PlayStation each, a TV each, even a lounge room each, where he now sees this is too much, and as Ryan's income now grows, he is keeping a lid on his living costs. Back at school, he was interested in economics and he did very well, but he hated accounting and he was pretty average at it. He reasoned that he didn't like math-based study, but finance and investing was actually really interesting to him, which is why he ended up becoming a clandestine penny stock trader in his final years of school. At 17 years old, he was actually too young to trade, you needed to be 18, so with the permission of his dad, they set up a trading account together using a mobile app. He said his dad knew nothing about investing and didn't understand the full risk of what he was doing and blindly trusted him, which was either genius or insanity, I'm not quite sure which. He said he was reading a website uh, called hotcopper.com.au, which apparently is Australia's largest stock trading and investment forum, and he saw other people trade with penny stocks and this really fired him up to have a go himself. In hindsight, he said it was so risky, indeed, Investopedia says of them, penny stock companies are often headed for bankruptcy or are highly over leveraged, and actually on his first ever trade, he lost a grand, but undeterred, he would buy shares at 1.1 cents each and sell them at 1.3 cents each, it's even hard to say, such a small quantity, and he made hundreds of dollars. And if you were doing the math here, that means that he was putting in thousands of dollars, some of it his own money, more likely his dad's, into it. Perth is a mining town so he was investing in mining related companies because he felt he understood it and he felt like he was getting into something like BHP just as it was starting. On the car ride to school with his dad, he was on his phone trading and one day he said he made $400 between home and the school gates and he said he would penny trade while sitting in class, his heart racing while he was trying to concentrate on studying and on making money. The whole experience he said was a roller coaster of winning and more often losing which he said in hindsight was so so risky. When he was just 17, he got a job in a brand new pizza shop. Uh, He was just rolling dough and doing the dishes. He was paid $11 an hour and was very, very keen to work, picking up extra shifts and covering for missing staff whenever he was asked and getting small pay rises as time went on. And he sounds to me like a real grafter, a real hard worker. So when he finished up high school, he got a $3,000 scholarship to use at university, he kept this pizza shop job, and whereas when I was at uni, lectures and tutorials took up all of my day, well he found a way around this. He studied his Bachelor of Economics and Finance degree at Curtin University in Perth, and only actually went to campus two days a week. The rest of his lectures and study he did online, meaning he could actually still work 30 to 40 hours a week and get all of his study out of the way as well. In his first year, he kept on with the penny trading, but he said that he had one really bad investment in a Chinese company that decided to list on the ASX. Prior to launch, they had said they would be paying a dividend, but when all was said and done, they never did, and the share price tanked. He had bought them at 10 cents, and the price dropped to 1 cent, and all up, he lost $23,000, a huge amount when you are only 19 or so. That is a whole lot of rolling pizza dough and doing dishes. I asked him what he recalled about that event and he said that at the time he still had more money and he thought that this was just a temporary blip and that it would bounce back up, which it never did. Now just that statement alone hints to me of a young guy who's just a little bit addicted to penny trading and gambling holding steadfast to the idea that the next trade will be the turning point in his unlucky streak. In his second year at uni, he became the manager of the pizza shop and he said that this university in particular really excels at online learning because so many students work in the mines or they live away from campus. This is a huge life hack for anyone that is self-motivated enough like Ryan is to work hard and study hard at the same time and it would be a really clear path to follow if you wanted to get through your study with no student debt. He didn't find finance particularly engaging, he just knew that he had to get it done so that he could get out and get a good job and it was while he was there that he joined a finance club called the Wall Street Club. It was a chance for those interested in finance to get together and listen to the occasional guest speaker and Ryan said that there were also Bloomberg terminals there to help them do research for assignments that they were working on and just to generally have a play around and it was a great place to meet other students who were interested in finance and also had an opportunity to network with potential graduate employers. Ryan said he was also always very proactive in trying to get a job straight out of uni. At the start of his second year, there was the opportunity to do a short internship. He actually applied to 40 different companies and he got one offer, so he did this internship with them, which counted as a unit towards his degree, and it was to this company he went to work at the end of his three-year degree. In his third year of study, he applied for and he received a scholarship whose aim it was to send those studying economics to other countries for a six-week stint to briefly experience different parts of the world from an economic perspective. And he actually came to Wellington in July 2016 to spend six weeks with the taxpayers' union. Now, from the way he described it, it sounded like a dynamic place to spend some time. And Ryan's role was to pull data together from local councils from all around New Zealand into a giant spreadsheet so that they could analyse if ratepayers and taxpayers were getting bang for their buck. Now, this union has been lobbying pretty heavily of late around the now canned capital gains tax. Before heading back to Perth for uni, he did the obligatory Kentucky tour around New Zealand, which sounded like an absolute blast, you know, climbing things, jumping off things, rafting down rivers, soaking up the sights, eating pies, and most likely, of course, having a few beers and doing all those other things that you do on Kentucky tours along the way. So I've mentioned that he worked a lot his whole way through uni, and he also got scholarships, plus he lived at home rent-free too. His uni fees were about $8,500 a year, give or take, But I was surprised to hear that he used a student loan to pay for these costs. Now why on earth would he do that when he had the cash to pay for it? Well, because it was so easy, he said. And he said he didn't even think about it. It was just what you do. And at no time did he even consider putting the scholarship money towards his fees. So he graduated with $30,000 of interest-free student debt, and until I mentioned it, had never really thought to actively pay it down. He is instead slowly paying it back from automatic deductions from his wages, meaning that the balance is now down to about $27,000 after three years of working. And his reasoning is that he can use his income to invest instead, just like he used his income from all those years of working his way through uni to invest and spend. But where is that income now though? Is it in an investment account earning money? And now I know that this is Ryan's story and not my own, but I had to chip in my two cents here and give him a sneak peek into his future. I have many friends who I went to university with who have the same argument that their student debt will pay itself off given time, that their money is better spent elsewhere. I just want to say that my friends and I, we're all about 45 years old now and many of them are still paying down their student loan debt 20 years after they finish study. Except now, they have so many more things pulling at their salary each month, mortgages and children being two things that come to mind. I'll always argue that you should kill off student debt hard and fast, because that's exactly what I did. And in Australia, 5% of Ryan's salary is skimmed off to pay his student debt back, so he reasons that this debt should be gone in about 7 years when he is 30, and I hope he sticks to that, or does better. So when his uni studies finished up in November, he had landed a job and it was due to start in March the following year, so he grabbed the chance to travel, going to Nepal and India, Thailand, Laos and Malaysia, and then he found the ultimate travel hack on a deal's website called Oz bargain uh, where Virgin Airlines had a glitch where if you paid for a one-way ticket you got a return ticket. They did fix that glitch in just a few hours but this was enough time for him to grab return tickets to Paris for two weeks. Talk about the right place in the right time. Now during his brief trip to Paris he managed to couch surf with many of the people he had just met during his other travels over the previous couple of months only paying for hostel accommodation for two nights. And despite me thinking that he should be paying off his student debt ASAP, it's these short travel stints where the memories are made, that's for sure. His first job out of uni was with Coopers, and it saw him working in the area of tax, doing tax returns for the super-rich. In one instance, he said he got to work on the tax return of a billionaire, and he said it was a really good way to see how high-net-worth individuals do their tax returns to minimise the tax they pay. He stayed here for just 10 months, earning $55,000 a year. Ryan had always biked everywhere or used public transport and he actually only bothered getting his driver's license once he finished uni, so his transport costs were always really low, leaving him more money to invest. But this first job meant he actually needed a car to get to it and he admitted to knowing nothing about vehicles or how to fix them. So he actually went and bought a brand new car, a Picanto, for $13,000 cash. He said it's cheap to run, it's easy to drive and park He still sounds like he is completely uninterested in cars, so I can see him holding onto this car for a long time and it suits his purpose as well. Now he was not actually looking to move jobs, but a friend had told him that there was a job available at the huge American investment bank and financial services company Morgan Stanley. His role within the company was as a financial planner to assist financial advisors to manage their clients' money and their cash flow. He said it was really interesting work and he was working in an area of superannuation which appealed to him and his salary went up to $82,000 which was a nice jump from his previous role. But, he said, the working environment was really old school with the majority of the team being over 50 years of age He would have been about 22 at the time that he worked there and he said that the teams were made up of financial advisors, many of whom were former stockbrokers, and they were always on the phone trying to buy or to sell something and there were constant morning teas and lunches going on as all of the various fund managers came knocking at the door touting their products, trying to get these financial advisors to recommend them to their clients. He said, think of the Wall Street images of everyone jostling to buy and sell and it was kind of like that. Ryan said there was an enormous amount of information flying around and everyone was thinking that they had the next big idea or the right managed fund or ETF or stock or whatever to buy and they were at the forefront of new company information being released and it was their job to act on it really quickly. As you could probably imagine, he was surrounded by financial information when he worked there, right at the forefront of all things investing. So it was not long before he thought that he too should put a plan in place for himself. So he went in on his weekends and he started to study the markets and do a lot of reading, a lot of learning and some forecasting. After getting all of the data, running some excels, backdating numbers, much observation, planning and listening, he devised a portfolio of 10, yes, 10 funds that he wanted to invest in. Now using all of this knowledge he bought his first managed fund at $2 a unit and then he watched it as in the first three months it, in his words, turned to shit and went down to $1.50. He still holds it today, I think he referred to it as his stupid managed fund and it's now sitting at $1.45 and he said that he is vowing to hold it once again until it breaks even. He said that this is when he actually realised that even with all of that financial knowledge, all the financial advisors and the planners pouring over information so that they can pick and choose and advise clients, the industry is just not the smartest at making the right financial decisions. He said at the end of the day he felt that their performance was the same as the ASX or even worse and it was just all too complicated. Plus they charged clients over a $100 per trade, some they even charged a percentage of the amount being traded and he saw this as just a way for the company to make money out of their clients. Ryan said that there are hundreds of ETFs out there and the financial advisor markets the next big thing like crazy just to make money out of it. He said that in the 10 months he was there, he remembers one of these new Chinese ETFs being launched with huge fanfare and an incredible Chinese banquet. And then the financial advisors just went out there and touted it as the next hot thing and started selling it and clipping the ticket as they went along. And he said there is even a fund with the ticker code ACDC and it's a battery ETF. And he said that if there is a fund called ACDC, then you just know that it's a marketing ploy. And I looked this ETF up. It does own batteries, but its own batteries are a bit flat. It's currently down 12% so after just 10 months he chose to move on, feeling somewhat educated and also quite sceptical as to how the investment industry works and he actually went back to the original company he worked for, which was Price Coopers. and he is now working as a superannuation specialist, and he is much, much happier. Plus, the average age of the huge international workforce is far younger, and he does not have to wear a suit to work. He can just wear jeans and a shirt. He said he is working hard, is always learning, and has some really cool clients that he deals with. The three roles that he's been in so early in his career have given him great insight into how he wants to manage his own finances going forward and I think his three job changes in three years is just indicative of a young labour market. Whereas in years gone by, you got a job out of uni and you just hung on through good and bad, these days for new recruits, it's important to find a role that you can connect with both emotionally and behaviourally, even if it means accepting less pay or moving roles often. And I admire this and, and I've always pretty much had a similar philosophy myself. Now, remember, he is just 23 at the moment. So when he told me, That over the years he has tried every type of investing he could get his hands on from penny stocks to day trading to foreign exchange and derivatives. The fact is that this has all happened over a short period of just six years. I remember a Will Smith YouTube clip where he talked about fail early, fail often and fail forward. And this came to mind when I was thinking about Ryan. Failure is a big part of being successful and each time he failed, he learned from his mistake and he moved forward, retaining that new information to apply to his next endeavour and on and on he goes, always learning. And even at 23, he said that if he had invested more strategically when he was younger, he would be miles ahead by now and yep, we've all had that thought Ryan, so don't beat yourself up over it mate, you've got many years ahead of you. So where is he at now? Well, it's still complicated, but he is refining his path, and he told me that he had finally settled on the fact that simple ETFs are the way to go. He stumbled across the one book and the one podcast that I recommend to most people, and that's JL Collins, The Simple Path to Wealth, and also the podcast Choose FI. I think that the episode where they interview JL Collins is one of the best I've heard for explaining how to invest for your future without confusion or fuss. And because of his career so far, that has exposed him to a few different parts of the investment industry, and because of the likes of JL Collins and Choose FI, he has now settled on what he calls the magic equation of only ever buying two investments, and they are the A200, which is the BetterShares Australia 200 ETF, and also the fund VTS, which is Vanguard's US Total Stock Market ETF. Now these are two low-cost ETFs and they're going to form the basis of his investing going forward, he told me. He said that most of his money, about $40,000, is currently mostly in an ETF that tracks the A200, a lesser but growing amount is in that VTS fund and he said he does still hold a few shares of quote rubbish stuff as a bit of a hangover from his past investment strategy but in time they'll probably go. But he has put this simple index fund investment strategy just slightly through the machine I like to call the complicator um, because he has also recently discovered margin lending through his bank NAB. It's like a home loan but you are borrowing to buy shares and he has currently loaned $10,000 which he will pay down both interest and principal of in full over the next 10 years. It's currently a positively geared investment, he's done the maths he said, and by using this particular margin lender there are no margin calls, they just don't do them, which is what he was specifically seeking out. A margin call for those who are unsure is that if the value of the shares you have purchased drops below the amount your lender has determined, then your lender can demand that you pay back a portion or even all of it um, immediately. Now this is an extremely new strategy for Ryan and it's only actually been in the last two months that he has been borrowing to buy shares. He put in five thousand dollars and he borrowed ten thousand dollars and that is the loan to value ratio that he is happy with. He's done it on a fifteen year term to buy into the A two hundred fund, yep, the Australian two hundred index fund. Now payments will come out on the first of each month, and his payments he said are only a hundred dollars a month, and these low payments will help him save up another five to six thousand dollar chunk of cash for the next one. His plan now is that every time he saves $6,000 he will go to NAB and borrow another $10,000 and invest in his two ETFs and he figures that if he structures the next ones on a 15 year loan the dividends are enough to cover the interest and the principal plus he has worked out that on his Australian shares there are tax deductions available and he sees it as an investment that literally pays its own loan off and the value of the stock itself will likely grow over the 15 years. Thankfully, he is cautious about over-leveraging and borrowing too much. He had been debating the benefit of buying a house versus investing in shares and just like in New Zealand and Australia, people push for houses where they leverage up to buy a house, often leaving them better off over the years. But shares can pay you dividends and also gain in value when with a house you pay the mortgage and the maintenance. So his plan is to build up a share portfolio as big as a mortgage and the dividends pay the mortgage, if you like, on the shares and you are buying an investment that pays for itself at the same time as it builds itself. Plus, given his time helping millionaires with their tax returns, he has become somewhat of an expert himself, and he will be working every tax angle that he can to advantage this investment. Now, I threw in the question here of if Ryan were given $10,000 right now, what would he do with it? And in an instant, he said he would borrow an additional $10,000 and invest the lot. His big goal is to have a share portfolio of $300,000 in 10 years and his thinking with this is that it will pay dividends of about $15,000 a year and that's plenty enough for him to take six months off work and travel for a bit or to use this as a great deposit on a home. He is now earning $77,000 a year but 9.5% of that goes to his superannuation fund each year as is compulsory for Australians and he is putting an additional $350 a month into his fund as well because this is a tax efficient way for him to do it, he told me. And for the economics boffins, this is how it works for him. Remember he is Australian and things are different here in New Zealand. Now the rest of you can hum to yourself quietly for the next 60 seconds while I explain what he's up to. Now, the more you earn, the more the government takes in taxes. He is now earning $77,000 a year, but 9.5% is taken out in super. If he earns $70,000, not including his 9.5% super, then every dollar between $27,000 and $70,000 is taxed at 34.5% marginal tax rate. But he can tell his employer to only pay him $65,000 and put the other $5,000 straight into his super fund. So that $5,000 is actually taxed at a lower rate of 15%. But if it was paid out to him, then it would be taxed at 34.5%. So he saves 19.5% on tax on that portion. And because he has worked in the area of tax, he is pretty good at working out the best way to structure things so he can be sure to pay the correct tax and as little tax as possible. So stay with me, he could actually put more into his super up to $24,000 including the $7,000 his employer puts in but it is of course locked away until he is 65 and I think that the retirement age is actually due to rise to 67 in the next couple of years in Oz as well. So it's locked in for too long, and although he sees the benefits and the maths, it makes sense for the return on his investment, but it's still locked away for another 42 long years. So he has settled on a figure that works for him, and this is what happens when a tax specialist thinks about their retirement. I like it, and I think I understand it, and I can definitely see the benefits for people, especially if they are closer to retirement. And if you didn't know this already, unlike here in New Zealand, Australian superannuation is actually means tested. He said he currently has about $30,000 in his super fund and it's with the lowest cost provider that he could find and he is invested in Australian and international index funds and his intention is to get that fund up to about $100,000 by the age of 30 at which point he will stop putting extra in and he'll just let normal contributions from his salary go in and he'll let compound interest and time grow his super for him. He said he always keeps about $20,000 cash sitting aside in a high interest bank account and he does not really have a good reason for this it just seems like a comfortable amount and for the first time he alluded to the fact that there is a risk to investing. He has sounded relatively immune to market movements up until now but he said that he is cautious and aware that he does work in an industry where if another GFC style event were to happen again then he could probably or possibly lose his job along with thousands of other young people in the finance industry and it could be hard to get a job for a year or two. And he said jokingly, or maybe not, that if that did ever happen, he would be the first one on a plane to Southeast Asia until the economy recovers, because that $20,000, that could last him more than a year over there. He still has his, quote, stupid managed fund, and he does also have some direct shares in Westpac Bank, because they pay good dividends, something like 9.9% a year, he said, given the profits of Australia's big banks. Thank you, all New Zealand account holders of Westpac. Australian-based Ryan is very pleased with their profit results. Yes, I'm being cheeky again. And finally, he has a little bit invested in art, Dr. Seuss' art to be more specific. His parents bought him one print for his 18th birthday. He's unsure whether to actually class it as an investment or just a really nice birthday present. The money would probably be better invested in shares than that produce an income, he reasoned, but he does know that the print has gone up in value a bit and one day when he has a house it will look great up on his wall. So all these things are the building blocks of his future fortune and I've no doubt that just like any architect, and given his brief track record, plans are very likely to change in time. But he said that his stint at the investment bank showed him that jumping on board the next big investment idea and getting in and out of the market is risky and unprofitable. And he should know, he has been trying all sorts of things since the age of 16. Plus, because he stumbled across JL Collins' a Simple Path to Wealth and the podcast Choose FI, they might be able to continually remind him to stick to his newfound path and what he calls his magic equation of only ever buying two investments. For now, he is Melbourne-based and happily working in his job in superannuation. He's working towards becoming a certified accountant, uh, working specifically in the area of tax returns for people who self-manage their superannuation funds. That is, they decide the investment mix of their portfolio instead of just paying into their fund each month and taking a hands-off role. A comment I will sometimes make is never take financial advice off people who have no money. Well, his clients tend to have a very high net worth and he seems continually aware and ready to observe and learn from others by watching how they deal with their own money. And just the way a detailed conversation about tax rolls off his tongue, I can see that he is absorbing content like a sponge. Plus, he is paying it forward by helping his girlfriend learn a bit about finance too. And actually, in one of our first email exchanges, he did make the comment that she is, quote, useless when it comes to finance. Whew, red rag to a bull there. So for the record, from what I managed to learn, she is extremely well educated, having trained as an engineer, but her life has taken a different route to Ryan's. She moved out of home young and has had to cover living expenses for all of these years as well as get an education. Plus, she has enjoyed a bit of travel along the way, he said. Now, he also said that like him, she is frugal, but her journey so far has not really meant that she has the ready cash to start down this investment path like Ryan has. But when she is ready and in her own time, he said she will. So Ryan's girlfriend, if you are listening to this, I did point out that he is a different person to you. He is full on when it comes to this investing caper and he needs to learn to be a lot more diplomatic when he wants to discuss money and investing with you. And Ryan, if you are wanting to motivate and help people, I do find it's better to point out their strengths rather than their deficiencies. Now Ryan is lucky enough not to just have this girlfriend but to also have a really good friend that he can talk with all the time about this money stuff and his mate is a bit more risk adverse he says but it's great to get a different opinion and to have someone to bounce ideas off. So Ryan's in his third professional job since finishing uni. Remember that he is only 23 so I have no doubt and I don't think he does either that there will be many more jobs and career changes in the years ahead. He's already got a few ideas of where he might head next into the mining industry to have a stint of earning the big bucks or maybe even one day into a career in teaching. He really liked his brief time in Wellington so who knows we might even get to see him back here one day. He said he used to budget in great detail tracking every cent earned and spent but he now has an awareness that he is saving enough Plus, he said he deals with numbers all day long at work and to come home and do more of it at night might just make his head explode. And he said he does buy everything on a credit card and he pays it off in full each month, gathering a few reward points along the way. Plus, when his pay goes into his account, money is immediately drafted off into his savings and investments. With the credit cards he does like to bank hack and when a bank offers a sign up bonus or a promo he signs up and over the last three years he has received about another $850 into his back pocket and he claims to have never paid a bank fee ever. When he has fulfilled the terms of having that card he closes the account and he moves on to the next one. And a hack for Australians listening. Whenever he goes into Woolies, he buys a gift card at a 5% discount online so that when he redeems it in-store, he has automatically saved 5%. I quite like that quick and easy one. His biggest financial triumph, he said, is his mode of transport. That car he bought is actually back in Perth and his mum is driving it while he is doing a stint of work in Melbourne and when he arrived four months ago he bought a $450 bike that he uses to ride to work every day saving about $40 a week on trains. Now his company gives a great staff discount at Nike uh, so he bought all weather clothes which he will need at some point in Melbourne and if he has needed to take the train due to rain well he does it before 7.15 in the morning because it's free and he can take his bike with him on the train for the ride home so the bike and the gear have already paid for themselves and he's enjoying the exercise too. His greatest financial flop he said was when he came to New Zealand he spent all of the six thousand dollars of scholarship money on food and accommodation. Remember he was still living at home and had barely ever made lunch or dinner for himself and he thought it was appropriate to eat out for lunch and dinner every single day he does not count trading penny stocks and shares as a flop because he thinks that it's far better to have learned that lesson early in life and throughout his short career he has seen retirees still trading frequently because they think it's the only way and some are forever trying to replicate a big success that they had at some point but ultimately Ryan has come to believe that this constant trading is actually a fool's game and his advice to the next Ryan age 16 just starting out Be wary of the huge variety of ETF funds. Just pick two or three or five at the absolute maximum and don't be lured into niche areas like agriculture or marijuana or batteries for example. The point of an index fund is to cover a broad index and if there are individual companies that you do like the look of, if they are performing well, then they will show up in the index anyway. And if you're looking for a place to start, these are some of the resources he enjoys and you might too. As mentioned, he really likes the podcast ChooseFI and as many have mentioned before, he likes Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He found it a bit extreme, but there are a few good bits in there, he said. He also likes the YouTube channel Two Cents because they have lots of short informational clips on topics like what is an index fund. um, And I checked it out myself and it's a really great YouTube channel. The J.L. Collins book Simple Path to Wealth and pretty much any time he is interviewed is worth a listen and he has even begun to listen to the little book of common sense investing by John C. Bogle which is Jack Bogle and he said that this goes into a lot of really good detail. He also likes Scott Pape, author of The Barefoot Investor and All-Round Good Guy when it comes to unbiased good money management in Australia. Whew, right, it's almost time to wrap up, but before I go, I have a final message from today's sponsor. They help me bring this podcast to you for free, which is the exact amount of money Ryan would prefer to pay in taxes. A big thank you to Pocketsmith for helping me bring this episode to you today. I use Pocketsmith to help me make great money decisions and keep track of my personal finances, and you can too, by going to thehappysaver.com forward slash Pocketsmith to get 50% off the first two months on a monthly premium subscription. Pocketsmith, clever budgeting software that lets you see your financial past, present and future. Now I really got a kick out of talking to Ryan and reading all of the emails he sent me before and after our chat and I thank him very much for taking the time to talk to me. Now any email that has, oh I just remembered to tell you about X, Y or Z has me laughing because his excitement for investing and just for life in general really comes across and he is quite captivating. And he said in one email that he was the worst investor up until March 2019. Well I'm recording this in April 2019 folks so does he think he has settled on a firm path for his investing future? Absolutely. Do I think he has? Well absolutely not but I've got to admire his conviction right? After all he is only 23 and when I was that age I was probably equally as certain that what I was doing was just bang on. He has tried so many interesting things up until this point and his curiosity and addictive personality makes him like a kid poking a beehive just to see what happens. He invested in penny stocks. He is now margin trading. He is working all of these different tax angles just to see what happens. He's travelled a bit. He's moved cities. Everything is new, interesting and full of potential and I really love his enthusiasm. He's young. He makes great money. He takes risks. He's a really hard worker. He's motivated, articulate and passionate. And his scattergun approach to investing is starting to narrow down into a more sustainable plan that should yield better and more consistent returns if he can stick to it. Like many young investors, he has read about market downturns but has never experienced them. He thinks he knows how he might react, but he's not quite sure. But the naivety of his youth makes him pretty robust and means that he can fail quickly and move on and I'd like to think that he is just going to roll with the punches in the years when the share market has a downturn and take advantage of any opportunity when things are on the up. And maybe a good idea would be to take a few people over the age of 50 out for a coffee and ask them about their investing highs and lows and add the insights of someone older to his education. But I love it how if things did hit the wall he would have absolutely no qualms about flipping burgers for a while until he could get back into the game. So keep going for it, Ryan. Stay curious, but don't get too distracted and don't stop being so enthusiastic. Well, that's all from me this week and Ryan's money journey actually marks the end of this series. I'll be taking a bit of a break, but don't worry, I will be back. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I do release a new episode. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could give me a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And do share it with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.